This is Chad Harrington here. My company, Harrington Interactive Media, produces and sponsors this podcast. We help you create and market media. And if you're thinking about launching a podcast, we'd love to help. We'll help you get your message out there and generate leads too. To start a conversation with us, click on our website link in the show notes of this episode and go to harringtoninteractive.com. This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith, and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursday each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. In this episode, J.T. Olson shares his talk called A Third Career with Both Hands in Ministry, recorded on August 7th, 2014. I just want to tell you the story. It's kind of like, uh, um, you know, it's this whole thing. One of my board members, Ty Osmond, has used this example. Life is like a tapestry. And what we do is we kind of go through life and most of the time all we see is the back end of the tapestry and there's all these strings. It doesn't look real pretty. We see a little bit of a blur, but we don't know what's happening. And then when we turn it around, we say, oh, now I get it. Now I get it. And I love telling the story about both hands because, you know, honestly, I hope it inspires you. I hope the way God's used it and the way the things that have happened with me, I hope it inspires you. I hope it motivates you. I hope it encourages you wherever you are today and, and what you're doing. And I, when I tell this story, I've, I've told it a few times. Um, and, and I thought about last night thinking, you know, this is I, what I'm going to do. I'll tell you kind of where we are today. But in the back, I got to go back and kind of tell you after a while how it all happened. You know, it's kind of like everyone here has probably seen The Wizard of Oz, right? Okay, well, maybe not everyone here has seen Wicked, but Wicked is a play, you know, and Wicked kind of explains The Wizard of Oz, if you've never seen it. You know what I'm talking about? So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you The Wizard of Oz, and then we're going to go back and do that. We won't talk about Wicked stuff, but, you know, um, but I uh, started an organization a few years ago, six years ago this month, called Both Hands, and the, what we, here's what I do. I help families raise money for adoptions. And we do it by working on a widow's house. Now, usually when I tell somebody that, if they're really polite, they kind of look at me and go, oh, okay, yeah, great, great. You know, and I can see in their eyes that glazed look of, I have no idea what he's talking about and, and how it works. So I have found, and I literally, I've sat with, I mean, really intelligent people for half an hour explaining this whole program, and they'll come out with a sentence like, so when does a widow get the money? You know, and I mean, no, I raise money for families. And so it means they don't get it. So I found the best way is to say how it happened. Okay? I was on the board of Bethany Christian Services. It's a great organization in town. And, and uh, I, I worked at Southwestern for about 23 years. And I left them in 1997. And I thought, well, I'm going to do something to kind of give my life away now that I'm not traveling. So I joined the board of Bethany Christian Services. I had witnessed what Bethany does because back in the 90s, at Southwestern, if you know, I work with you work with college students, and I had a chance to work with some uh, some great college students for many years. And every once in a while, word would get back to me through my students that so and so is pregnant, and they're going to have an abortion, and they don't care what you say about it. Well, because most of my students knew how I felt about things like that, life, 
And uh, I said, okay. So usually it worked out. My wife would end up, Sarah, is, she'd kind of end up kind of talking to him. And after about two days, where do we get back? Well, okay, she's going to go get an ultrasound and she'll have the, she'll have the baby, but... You know, and she was from Wisconsin on the one condition that she can live with you guys in Tennessee while she's pregnant. And I thought, that's it? Yeah. I mean, anyone would do that, you know? And so in the process of having, we had about three or four women stay with us in the 90s that were in that situation, crisis pregnancies. And in the process, Bethany Christian Services came through and ministered to these women and help them decide, do I put it up for adoption, do I keep it? And it was awesome. I tell you, the best Christmas card I ever got was from the, 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 the girl's mother. It was one line. It said, thank you for saving my granddaughter's life. I, I didn't do anything. All I did was, yeah, sure, you can stay here. You know, we kind of ministered to her. And you guys have all done things like that too. But I'm telling you about Bethany because that was the seed. God uses seeds along the way. And that was one of them. Well, I was on the board of Bethany and my job was to raise money. And we thought we'd do a golf tournament. Golf for goodness sake, you know. And it was a great idea. You know, everyone go out and golf. You mail letters out to people and say, would you sponsor me while I'm golfing? Anyone familiar with that concept? Okay, it's a great, great thing. And if you love golf, it's even better. Well, I mailed all my letters out, did what I was supposed to do, and I had a friend of mine, Bill Iverson, and I have permission to use his name. Bill Iverson sent my letter back to me, and instead of sending a check, he had taken a magic marker, and he scribbled on my letter. He said, JT, if you told me you were working on a widow's house, I might sponsor you, but you're just golfing. Nice cause, but not my money. That hurt a little bit. But at the same time, I looked at that letter and I thought, that's a pretty good idea. And it, you know, and it literally, a couple days went by, and a couple days, I, I finally called Bill, and we talked about it and laughed about it. He still didn't give me any money. Uh, I closed a few times, but you know, and, and uh, but the idea never, ever left me. And whenever I saw a fundraiser going on, you know, a, a tournament, a, a 5K or anything. I kept asking myself, if they were working on a widow's house, would that be different? And, I mean, I even talked to people about it, tried to figure out how do I do it, you know, what do we raise money for? Well, three years after that, I'm in church running into a good friend of mine, one of my former students at Southwestern, uh, Don Meyer. And I hadn't seen Don in a couple months. I said, hey, Don, what's up? He said, I'm adopting four kids from Moldova. Wow. Having adopted, I knew that was going to be expensive. I said, any idea how much that's going to cost? He said, about $65,000. I said, do you have any idea how you're going to raise that money? And that glazed look in his eyes like, no, I don't. And I remember the first thought hit me, a lot of thoughts hit me, but one of them was, here's a man trusting God. He's trusting God for this. And I said, I admire, I love that. When you see that, it's just, it's always inspiring. I said, I think I got an idea. So long story short, what we did, we got about 13 guys. We all came up with a letter. We all mailed this letter out to everyone we knew saying, would you sponsor me while I work in this widow's house? Let me tell you about the widow, Lucia Williams. She lives on Straw Street down here. I, we got a bunch of merchants who love the idea. They donated all the supplies we needed. You follow me so far? You getting it? Okay. And we spent the day working on her house. And then the letter talked about these four kids from Moldova. Well, people mailed checks in to sponsor us. 
And when it was all over, we had raised $55,000. Yeah. I mean, if you were doing that, would you not go, whoa. <laughs> That's, it was literally like God was saying, hey, JT, widows and orphans, ring a bell. And, and it, just, it, just, it just freaked me out. And I thought, that's a lot of money. Now, I heard since then, Mary and Don had said, well, actually, what all came in, it was about 70000 I mean, it just totally blew me away. And I remember, um, and this is, I got to tell you, because part of this is, this is a walk of faith. You know, for me, it has been. And, you know, at some point, about three or four, five months after that, we had, I, I said, well, we're, we should call this both hands. I can't remember the name. One for the widow, one for the orphan. And I met with somebody who was a friend of ours, and she'd been trying to get with me. She said, I just have, I want to give you something. I want to give you something. And I thought, okay. And then this whole time, I'm not real excited about what I'm doing for my job. And I'm thinking, I, you know, how's this all going to look? And she handed me a Christmas card thanking her for some of the stuff we'd helped with her family and stuff and everything like that. And I opened up, and she said, there's something for I want you to start this organization with. And there was a check for $50,000. Now, I've got five kids. And $50,000 raising five kids in Williamson County, will that last a long time? You know, maybe eight months, nine months, you know, if you're, if you're stretching it. But you know what I'm talking about? In other words, you're going, oh. He said, well, that's not going to last long. That'll, that'll help. So, you know, I had a lot of encouragement from God and from some other people. Well, a few months later, another friend of mine from Southwestern, Bill Kersey, says, hey, I heard what you did with Don. Would you help me? I said, sure, let's do it again. And so we uh, found somebody, Diana Beach, who some of you probably know Diana, uh, back in November of, uh, well, this, is, this, is, this happened in March, March, April of 2008. We worked on her house. We had about 50 people there. We replaced her roof. Mike Smith at Christ Community Church was kind of the project manager. He helped put a roof together and everything. It was awesome. And I remember standing on that roof, helping pull shingles up. And I actually got to work one of those gun things and everything. It was pretty cool. And um, I looked out, and there was, I counted, there was 52 people in the front and the backyard and the roof. I looked out, there was 19 cars on the street. And I sat back there and I looked at it and it all came rushing back to me. This is where I'm gonna go back to the story. It took me back to 1969 when I was 12 years old. I was, lived on a farm in Iowa, northeastern Iowa. We had five kids in our family, my, my dad was a farmer. And one weekend in March, they had left to celebrate their 16th wedding anniversary. And us five kids were kind of farmed out to different places, and us three boys were, I don't know, that, that Saturday, my, I remember I was playing in the, some one of my friend's yard or barn, and, and we got called back home that Saturday night. And my other brother, he, he didn't go in the barn. He was clean. I was pretty dirty, and so I had to go down to the basement. But he went up to the top, the upstairs, and I remember so clearly sitting there on this white chair, bending over my boots, unlacing my boots, and my brother came down the stairs. He was in ninth grade. I was in seventh grade. And I looked at him and I said, a mom and dad home. I was excited because, honestly, the last time I'd seen my dad, he wouldn't give me a ride. And he, he I was, was late. I said, I said, give me a ride. And he said, no, you'll make it. Keep going. I said, okay, bye. And I was so excited to see my mom and dad because I didn't leave things well with my dad. 
And my brother comes down. I said, hey, are mom and dad home? And he looks at me and he says, mom and dad are dead. And I said, what? He said, mom and dad are dead. They were killed an hour ago in a car accident. That's how I heard. So I know what it's like to be an orphan. I know what it's like to have everything that you feel is important. Just kind of snip. The, the things in life that keep you tethered are just kind of snip. And you, it just, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a floating feeling like, ugh. I know what it's like to have it go through your head. This doesn't happen to me. This is what you read about. This is, I remember thinking, who's going to take care of us? What's going to happen to us? I remember waking up the next morning. I know the feeling of the first 40 seconds thinking that was all bad dream. And then after about 45 seconds realizing, oh, I'm never going to see my mom and dad again. This side of heaven. So I know what it's like to be an orphan. I also know what it's like to be rescued. Because three months before the accident, my mom and dad and my aunt and uncle, my mom's sister and her husband, had signed an agreement that if anything would happen to them, they would take their kids and vice versa. Do you get it? And that was a good thing they had that document because we were in Iowa, they were in Wisconsin, we had to cross state lines and it just made it, you know, without that it would have been a whole lot of stuff. I mean, honestly, I have a real heart for people in the foster care system because that's where we were headed. Had to be. But because of that, we were taken care of. My aunt and uncle were 33 years old at the time. They had three kids of their own. He just started a business about a year earlier. Yeah, they're studs. They're studs. They're about 80 years old today, enjoying retirement. And they live in a place like Brentwood, in a suburb of Milwaukee called Brookfield. So it was a little bit of a transition to go from a farm in Iowa to a city in Milwaukee. And I remember in seventh grade in Iowa, I was, in the, I was the starting guard of the basketball team of our seventh grade team. When I went to eighth grade in Milwaukee, I didn't even make the second cut. So there was a whole lot of things I had to learn, you know, making that transition. But I remember the accident happened in March. My two little sisters were four and five years old. They moved in with my aunt and uncle immediately. Us three boys, we were seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. We stayed to help another uncle, Uncle Clifford, with the farm. Because Uncle Clifford was 63 years old or 65 years old. He was lived on the farm with us. He was my dad's business partner. It's about 400 acres. Clifford couldn't do that alone. So us three boys stayed to finish out the school year and the summer and to help Uncle Clifford with the chores. Well, I remember standing on that roof brought it all back to me because I remember one day in April getting off the bus. And we had about, a, like I said, about a half mile drive walk from, walk from the bus stop to our farm. farm. And it's a half. And it's a half minute. It's a half mile. It's a half mile. When I take my kids out there now, I say, yeah, I did walk a half mile to the bus. See this? And we measure it out. And there it is. And it snowed and it was cold and there's a hill. So I walked uphill. Um, um, but I remember getting off the bus. It was a beautiful April day. Stepping off that bus, and you can see a lot of our farm because the bus stops is kind of on a hill. And there were all our neighbors in the 
farms with their tractors and their plows and their discs and their drags and their planters. They're planting our crops. Leland Meyer, Everett Ellison, Bert Juvik, Bob Grana, you know, Ed Cooper, all men who've passed on. But I remember them. And when, I, mean, I know what it's like to get your feet washed and have absolutely no other way to repay it. And I know what it's like for the people who are given that not to expect anything. They're doing it because the Spirit of God is just moving them. So I'm standing on Diana Beach's roof. And there I'm looking out at all these people and that just came rushing back to me. I said, this is cool. And I remember that night. I remember the night well because it was my daughter's junior prom night. And I'm just, there's so many things about that day I remember. In April of 2008, went out to you with my wife and she telling her about the day and she looked at me and she said, you are positively aglow. I said, yeah, this brings me life. And we started planning. I think started, this is what I'm supposed to do. She was a stay-at-home homeschooling mom. And we started planning. She started. We made a she was a stay-at-home homeschooling you know, mom. All of a sudden, she I went was to work at Belmont. We made a few changes, you know. And all of a sudden, I was homeschooling. My homeschool. My kids went to a. My homeschool. My kids went to a tutorial. My homeschooling amounted to by his telling my son Max, who's here today, by his own accord. I didn't force him to, by the way. He's 18 now. Going to college, right? He's 18 now. Going to college, right? My homeschooling amounted to Max. Okay. You get your work done. Okay. Good. But, but we, <laughs> we made some changes, and there was a time I just thought, you know, we got to start doing it. I remember telling my wife, I said, we got to do this. I said, if I, feel, I feel like if I delay one more day, it's like I'm flipping God the bird. I got to do this. And so we just kind of set out to do this. I know what it's like to be an orphan. I know what it's like to be rescued. And I also know what it's like to rescue. Because... Somewhere in there, 2001, 2003, fast forward to I'm in a third floor of a high-rise hotel in China. And there's an 18-month-old little girl screaming and kicking, being handed over to me. And I can't imagine my life without Gracie. But that didn't happen either. And we talk about faith. We talk about how God moves you. Man, that's a story. We started talking. I was on the board of Bethany, so I would always come home with stories of my wife about, oh, a new baby was born. It's in, it's in the neonatal care unit at Vanderbilt. And, and she said, oh, let's go adopt, you know. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't say we're going to adopt. I just kind of tell me about it, you know, just kind of, just kind of, you know, check in, you know. And, and after about a year of that, my wife finally looked at me and she said, listen, I've got four kids. I can be happy with them the rest of my life. And I'll gladly take one more. I can take either one. She said, what I can't take is the up and down I get from you. Now, what I know about working with families, it's usually the men who are the last ones because they're the ones who are thinking finances. Because I always told my wife, we can't do this. It would take a life savings. We just started a business a couple years earlier. Really hadn't taken a pay, hadn't taken a paycheck for literally three years. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you know, it was, I said, things weren't great. It's not like I'm, savings. you know, you know what I'm talking about? It was just, it was difficult. I said, we'd have to use a life savings. My kids are all praying at night. And so she just quieted. Dear God, in the meantime, help, Dad help us adopt. My kids are all praying at night. I'm putting them to bed. And dear God, please help Dad help us adopt. I found out afterwards there were other families praying the same thing. I remember it was Christmas Eve 2001. My wife sent me upstairs to the attic to get some stockings 
for her to stuff. And I remember going up into our attic. I remember looking around and seeing strollers, car seats, cribs, and all these clothes. And I walked downstairs, you know, I met my wife on the stairway and I said, listen, we've got clothes, we've got strollers, we've got car seats. And she thought I was going to say, it's time we have a garage sale and get rid of this stuff. <laughs> but I looked at her and I said, we've got everything we need. It's not like we're going to have to go out and reinvent the wheel. And I said, what's wrong with using a life savings to save a life? And she said, are you serious? I said, yeah. I mean, it's stuff. Again, it's just God working on your heart. You'd asked me that 15 years earlier, 10 years earlier, even three years earlier. I wouldn't have had that attitude. But I, and I shudder to think about what might have happened. I can't imagine life without Gracie. And to think I would have let something like money get in the way. So God was working. God was working on me and my whole attitude about it. And, and I know how to relate to men who are hesitant about adopting. And I also know there's nothing wrong with using a life savings to save a life. Because that's what it's for. So there I am on Diana Beach's roof. And this has all come flooding back to me. Is it starting to make sense? This is how God has just worked in my heart. And... After that project, you know, I said, we got to do this. We started six years ago this month. We started both hands. And what we do is I help families raise money for adoptions. And we do it by working on a widow's house. Does that make sense now? And to, to date, we've done 393 projects in 40 states. We've got three scheduled for this weekend, so we'll be at 396 pretty soon, hitting on 400, another milestone. There's been 427 widows who've been blessed. And there's been about 12,000 volunteers who've given their life away. And we've raised $4.3 million. $4 hard to say. Do you get it? It's $4.3 million we've raised. And 100% of that money has gone towards the adoptions or else orphanages. Because we do projects for families, for groups that just want to raise money for an orphanage or something like that. We don't take anything out for administration. The way I set this up, we did it on purpose that way, was that we're just going to live like missionaries, you know, and we're going to raise our own support. That's why I look around this room and, boy, there's a lot of people in here who have support both hands. And none of this would be, none of this would be possible without it. And the exciting thing is, I think the number is 440 kids are no longer orphans. That's a yay God, isn't it? Yeah. Give it up. That ain't, that's God. That's God and people like you come alongside because there's a whole lot of people. When people look at this, they go, wow. And all I can think of, it's all God and said, there's a whole lot of people pulling this train. It's not me. I just happen to be the guy who talks about it. Um, but I just, I guess when I think about what I hope it does, I hope it inspires you. I hope it encourages you because I know that there's people in life who are 
They're like I was. I was 52 years old when I was going through this. I'm 58 now. I turned 58 yesterday. And I, so I, you know what? I'm excited about what I'm doing. I haven't had a bad day at work in six years. And you wouldn't either if you're doing what I'm doing. I get to talk to families who are adopting all day long. I get to talk to widows. I get to, I get to who are just blessed. And they're going, oh, wow. I get to watch videos of people doing projects. And then saying, yeah, we raised 5000 10000 15000 20000 or even $30,000 for our adoption. And the whole community came around us. And it was awesome. That's what I get to do. You would love it too. And, and I, I know when we've had a lot of studies. And I, you know, it's all I can say when I look back. And we're talking about faith. As I look back at the way God has had things happen, but I also think about the places he's had me, at Christ Community Church, at Fellowship Bible Church, at Men's Fraternity, you know, and just hearing these things about what it means to be a man. Hearing people speak and say, you know, when you start doing something that really does require God's prayer, he's going to want to know about it. Until you do that, don't worry about it. Do something that requires prayer. Do something that's not going to work unless you have prayer. That's the kind of thing I want to do. And what I want to live is, like you guys, I mean, taking from a little C.S. Lewis stuff, you know, the screw tape letters and everything. I, I just picture Satan when he gets up in the morning and he gets around with his little minions and he gets to my name. I don't want him checking the box that says not a threat. I want him thinking, oh, he's up again. That's what I want. And I think that's what we're able to do. So... I'm grateful for all the people who've supported us. I'm grateful for what we do. And uh, I'm grateful because I kind of found my place in the wall. You know, when Nehemiah talks about building that wall, and all he goes to that one chapter, he talks about all the families, and his place is his place, and his place is his place. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm thinking, I found my place in the wall. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I know, hope you're at places where you're supposed to be doing it too. Um, all I can say is... is uh, is thank you. I'm 58 years old now, and it feels like this is what it's all been about. And God kindly said, it's all teed up, now swing. And that's what I'm doing. So thank you very much for letting me share the story. You've been listening to the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. Remember to check out Harrington Interactive Media will help you launch your podcast with confidence and excellence so you can get your message out there and connect with your audience in measurable ways. That's harringtoninteractive.com.